0: Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Net. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi everyone, I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to my podcast, Live Without a Net, and I am with a true entrepreneur. Mark Kramer. He's an author, podcaster, and serial entrepreneur. He's had amazing ventures. I've been a part of some of them doing PR for him. And I just think everyone would be really interested in learning about his career and how he keeps the hustle up every day. So Mark, share with us a little bit about your background and give us some inspiration on what you know keeps you ticking and moving and motivated every day.
1: Sure, Jen. Thanks so much for having me on. First of all, I started my career as a sports writer. I started writing when I was 15. And I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to have anything to do with business. My grandfather was in business. My father was in business. And I thought, I don't want the hours that they're working because they're working six days a week. You'd go on vacation. They'd be calling in and seeing how things were going with business. And then I had gotten married and realized this wasn't a good lifestyle to be a sports writer. So I got into the business world. I still had no aspirations of being an entrepreneur. But then my wife and I needed money to buy a house and for vacations. And so we weren't making enough. So I started started side businesses. And one of my first side businesses was Mark Kramer Build Your Business bumper stickers. And I thought, man, that's going to be a big hit. It's very inexpensive, make a lot of money. And what happened was, is that I went to 37 businesses and they all turned me down. So I started another business called Mark Kramer Promotions. We can get anything. And my first (laughs) six clients were bumper stickers. So that's how I got started in that. And then one of my early clients was a place called the Downtown Marketplace in Chester County, which was one of the first indoor malls in the United States. And that guy hired me... um, start a haunted house for him at the end of the evening, so would you like to be the assistant manager? And I said, sure. So I became the assistant manager, then the manager, the chief operating officer. Then I ran a bunch of different businesses that he started. But it turned out that I always had this knack for entrepreneurship because even when I was in high school, I took over the high school paper and rebuilt that and made it profitable for the first time in 81 years. And I like what I like about entrepreneurship is the creativity part. And even in college, I sold bumper stickers to make money. And so I'd always been kind of doing this type of thing. So, and and now, you know, in the past 30 years, I've started 25 businesses, uh, run four turnarounds, written six books. And I've uh, experienced, like everybody else, high highs, low, very, very low lows, and have had to raise money. But I've essentially, there's no net for me. Either I only live on whatever I'm able to kill, like all other entrepreneurs. So there's no, I wish my dad had a lot of money and I was a trust fund baby, but that's not the case.
0: (laughs) I know I do too. But then there's some sort of adrenaline to it, don't you think? Like we have to keep it going. We have to survive. We can't fail.
1: Well, I think the one thing you know is uh, failure is literally not an option uh, because you'll drown and you don't want to drown. So, you always end up putting one foot in front of the other. The other thing you know in entrepreneurship is if you keep getting up off the canvas and keep moving forward, eventually something good is going to happen for you. You may not become Mark Zuckerberg, but you'll make a living and you'll have interesting experiences and interesting times and And people, frankly, find um, entrepreneurs almost to be like rock stars. So, you know, there's a, you know, when people meet you and they find, oh, you're an entrepreneur, they're really interested in what you're doing. And a lot of people work for large corporations say, boy, I wish I was doing that, but they're afraid, uh, afraid of taking the risk. But I tell people the risk is actually working for a large corporation because you have no control over your financial or professional future. Not like you know, I'm incredibly. I'm going to be sixty, but you know, when my dad uh, was growing up, you worked for IBM or Procter and Gamble or the steel company your entire life, and his father and his father. But now that's totally different. They have a bad quarter; they're letting you go. You know, things. Look at the uh, Phillies and some of the professional sports team run by billionaires, paying people large amounts of money. And they're letting folks go who can't afford to be let go know know. how they're going to survive. So I say, better off to be on your own and and working five jobs than working for one person and never knowing any morning you wake up if you're still going to have um, income coming in.
0: Agreed. And there's something about freedom, too. I would say the best part about it is freedom. We can go to the gym in the middle of the day if we want. You know, we don't have to be stuck in an office from nine to five.
1: Well, I even had a home in Panama for 15 years and we would go there for three months. And and the only reason we could do that is because of the internet. So, you know, thank God for the internet because she gives you all this flexibility. I have a friend of mine that she moves to a different country every year and she has 15 employees and she just works at a different country every year. So the fact that you're an entrepreneur, you're right. If I want to go to, when the Phillies were playing, a one o'clock game on a Thursday, I just decided that's what I'm doing. If I felt like taking my girlfriend out to lunch in Longwood Gardens, uh, at which we've done numerous times, I would just go do it.
0: Right. And I miss those business fillies. I forget what they're called. It's like... Business
1: a businessman special.
0: special. <laughs> yeah. They're I great. We haven't had that in a year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I miss all of those uh, sports events that we used to go to. But that that's, you know, one of the beauties of it. And also, I just think that Idea that you could get creative. I love writing the plan and launching it. The part I hate the most is actually having to have people pay for what you do, because you know chasing people, you know being able to convert people from considering to actually being clients is stressful. And then when you do get them as clients, collecting the money that's stressful.
0: Agreed. I know we were just talking about before this recording about how the hardest part of our jobs is probably collecting money. Do you yeah. have any place for entrepreneurs out there who, who struggle?
1: Uh, well, I always um, insist on getting paid first thing in the month. So like when I sign a contract, I require them to give me a check um, when we sign, and then I send the bill. And if I don't see that money come by that first or second Friday, I don't do the work. Uh, because otherwise you could end up being playing catch-up forever. And I don't think you want to be in that position to do it. It's one thing when you've had, I one time had a law firm as a client for five years, and for four years they paid me every Friday the clockwork, and then the recession hit 2008, and then they had problems. And so I, I literally carried them for a year, and he paid me back, but it took about three years until he paid me back what he owed me. But I trusted him. But I would never go into a new relationship with any of that kind of trust.
0: I agree, just from getting burned many, many times. <laughs> yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, look, and, and everybody goes through tough times. Right now, we're through incredibly hard times for people, especially in certain businesses like travel and restaurants and so forth and retail. So you you're going to give the, those people kind of a break, either you're going to do the work for them because you want to help them and and you're hoping that they'll appreciate it and pay you back over time, or you just or you know even if you sign the contract, if they paid you a couple months and then they stop, you probably have to say, Look, I, I'm like you, I need to go and look for other sources of revenue, so let's just put this thing on hold. But clearly, unlike when there's good times where you might consider oh, I'm going to take this person to court because we're taking advantage of me. Now you can't even do anything like that.
0: Exactly. I just hope my clients come back in 2021 and it's business as usual.
1: (laughs) Right. And and hopefully this will all end, you know, before we were hoping it was going to end by February, March, but now it looks like next summer is when life should return to uh, normal.
0: I know. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Doc yeah. already. It's been a year of mostly staying in and no socialization. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Uh, I, that's why you get a dog.
0: I know, I know. I'm very grateful for Maverick, and I know you love fur babies as yeah. well. So. Yeah,
1: my my beauty queen Roxy, she's my number one girl, and uh, I'm fortunate to be in a relationship uh, right now. So, uh, but it's still been very difficult for people. To go through that, and especially for entrepreneurs, because we're already, as you mentioned, in the name of your show, you know, playing without a net. Um, it's even doubly hard when you don't have that consistent income coming in, and people put everything on hold. I have clients too put things on hold, so I ended up starting things during it. So you see, in the background, Best Business Minds. I started a podcast in March. And where I would interview business book authors. And I only started because I knew the entrepreneurs I was dealing with running the Angel Venture Fair were just sitting wondering wondering what we're going to do. And the first uh, author I interviewed was Laura Hung, uh, who wrote a book called Edge about how to overcome these kinds of circumstances. And I said to Laura, "Um, could I interview you for this show I want to start? And, and I was thinking about doing it like once a month and she said, sure. What do you want to do? I said, tomorrow. And he goes, it's only 24 hours. I said, well, I'm gonna send our broadcast email and see what happens. But we had a hundred and over 160 people sign up in like in uh, like within a few hours. And so we did it the next day and then people were writing to me and saying, when are you doing the next one? So I immediately lined up authors I knew. And now I have uh, listeners from 31 countries and I do an author a week.
0: How can you tell how, what kind of um technology is there that you can tell where all the it's like Google where they're coming
1: from well yeah. i use I use TicketLeaf, so when you sign up to listen to uh-huh. mine, right. I ask you a series of questions. I mean I'm asking people all their ages and male, female, you know what states and countries that they come from. But I was like surprised when we looked at all the spreadsheets about maybe two months ago. how many countries? People were coming and listening to me and consistently listening. So I thought, wow, that's really cool. So now I want to try to, I'm talking to NPR locally and seeing if they would carry my show. And they've written to the street.com because I used to write for Jim Kramer. I used to write a column for him. So I'm trying to start to talk to people about making this even a bigger opportunity for me. And Maybe I can make revenue off of it. Certainly the context I'm making are fantastic. And I think, you know, during a time like we're in right now, it's the time to experiment and come up with ideas. I mean, my, my daughter, Sydney, my youngest, she's trying to make it in Hollywood. So she's been writing uh, for Celebrity Magazine Q&A interviews. So I said, Sydney, now you need to create a podcast where they both see video and hear audio. and maybe you end up being working for one of the celebrity uh, news services, interviewing people, and you'll have created your own job. Agreed. I mean, I mean frankly, I, when I look back, I actually started my first entrepreneurial venture uh, when I graduated college in 82, and interest rates were 19%. And I was still you know, being a sports writer. And I thought, what if I syndicated myself? And so I went to the library and I looked up all the newspapers in the country that only used AP or UPI services them. And so I wrote to all these um, papers like in secondary cities like Scranton and Wilkes-Barre and so forth. And I wrote to 100 or 200 cities across the country with the idea that for $10 a story or $30 a week for three stories, I would be interviewing world-famous athletes, and sending it to them, Q&A interviews. So I thought this was a great idea. I spent $2,000, which was all the money I had, and only one paper showed interest, which was in Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, my god! And so I thought, uh, well, I can't do anything about that. But I was stupid. I should have just... I, two of the mistakes I learned was, one is I shouldn't have uh, said no to Anchorage, Alaska. And two is I should use the money to get in a car and see... Editors of papers in Scranton and Wilkes-Barre and Reading and Harrisburg, and try to convince them that for only thirty bucks a week they could have somebody providing them with Q and A interviews with of famous athletes.
0: That's a great idea, and it did it work.
1: I, I, I ran out of money. I mean, I, it was in retrospect that I looked back and said I should have done this differently than but what I
0: got I, the one in Alaska. Yeah, at least and yeah, that-
1: and I didn't. I didn't do anything with it because I felt like, oh my God, how can I make a living off of one publication in Alaska? But, if, but now when I think about it, if my kids came to me with the same idea, I would be able to guide them better.
0: But now it happens. I mean, look at all the freelancers that work for many outlets, whether it's TV or online blogs. So you were ahead of the game, ahead of the times, really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I still I write a national column for American City Business Journals. I've been doing for five years. And a lot of the stuff you do for free, which is what's kind of killing journalists, is that there are lots of writers like me who will do it just to raise my visibility and, to, and be able to get into conferences and, and network. So I use my journalism degree for that. So you see a lot of people writing for free. And of course, all these publications are are getting hit because they can't, um, bring enough advertising to survive.
0: So true. Yeah. You are an author, you are doing best business minds. And that's, I think it's interesting that you're doing books because whenever I've had clients that are authors, it's hard to pitch them. So at least I know you're the go-to person for that. Yeah. A professor at St. Joe's. I mean, what else am I missing? You've done so many things. So you've that much experience to share with people.
1: Well, I've been, I've actually worked for at least seven universities. I taught uh, 10 years at the Wharton School, MBA and executive MBAs, and I taught for the National University of Singapore, and I taught in Colombia and Chile and Panama and Guatemala. I forgot about Guatemala. So I've taught a lot of different uh, places. I love teaching because I like interacting with students because they see the world from a different lens. So I I always tell um, entrepreneurial companies, bring college students in to do internships or work for you because they view things differently and their knowledge about new technology is better than ours because we're so focused on so many other things. And, of course, you learn a lot. Like I've learned with this podcast that social media doesn't do much for me uh, because the average age of my listeners is 51. So they, uh, they sign up because of email blasts, email newsletters, and organizations that they might belong uh, to, like the Union League or startup community or whatever. But when we do any kind of social media, or especially like LinkedIn, you would think you know, if you're joining all these groups on LinkedIn and you have access to 3 million people, oh my gosh, there would be a ton of people that would want to listen to your podcast. Now, if we're lucky if we get two or three people that come from something like that or we're you know, putting it on Twitter or whatever. So you have to understand the medium that you're, uh, that you, the target market you're after, and who would be interested in what you do. I even had young authors on my show under thirty-five, and one had hundred thousand following, and he goes, "You probably won't even get one person, or you'll be lucky to one person of my hundred thousand who will actually listen to this show because they don't really care about business books." And so you learn things to yourself probably the life of business books going forward, maybe another 20 years uh, because most people under the age of 35 read articles. They don't read books.
0: Right, that's, that's so true, the way the world has changed. I know, I mean, I think about it even for this podcast. It's, it's hard to market yourself in a world where everyone's doing a podcast, especially in COVID. So what does it come down to? Does it come down to your guests, the content, marketing? It's probably marketing. It's yeah, day.
1: I mean, well, you pick a niche. And you're trying to service that particular niche, right? So, in my case, it's business. I'm interviewing business book authors, and I'm targeting CEOs. So, ninety percent of the people who listen to my show are either CEOs or report to CEOs, uh, which is uh, which is good. So, I have a, a really unique uh, niche that I'm going after. But I'm not going to have you know tens and thousands or millions of people listening. Um, Because I'm I'm not doing like mysteries or uh, or you know true stories about how people got murdered, you know those kinds of things. One, the one thing you're finding that's coming out is all these people who are now trying to sell to podcasters about putting them on their platform. Like I I don't want to say who this was, but somebody called me yesterday and they said, you know, we would like to have your show on our platform, Uh and I immediately go for. How much is this going to cost? You?
0: Yeah, because you know better.
1: Yeah, and he, they go two hundred and fifty a month, and we're looking to get uh, to a thousand podcasters. Okay, think about that. That's good for him, but not good for me. Because yeah. if I'm a, a, a part of a group of a thousand, why am I paying them two hundred and fifty dollars? I'm just better off emailing out people myself right. or spending that money to buy. Google ads or Facebook ads and drive my own business, then just be lost in the thousand. He's that's good for him, not good for me.
0: Right. And how do people find your show? How can oh,
1: I- I, they find it? Because I uh, they get on the email list. So if they if they join the best business minds, there's a you know they can write to me and we put them on an email list and send it out to them. And once on the list, they can uh, sign up for every single show even if they're not on it, because mine's a live show. So they actually come on, listen to the author, ask questions of the author through chat box. And, and then if they don't make it uh, to the show, we send them a link to the show later and they can listen to it or watch it whenever it's convenient for them. So we always tell people, don't worry. And, and the one thing you find out is, and, and I've done now 100 shows, Fifty to sixty percent is the most that will actually come and listen to your show. That, on average, it's been consistent. Fifty to sixty percent.
0: That's still great, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you we average one hundred and ten people signing up, and so you get fifty to sixty percent that will actually be on the live show. But the authors love it. I didn't even know until recently from uh, some an author I had on. He goes, "I've never been on a live podcast before." This is so unique and I've been on a ton of podcasts. So that's something that they like because they like interacting with the audience and seeing in the gallery all these people listening to them.
0: Yeah, I've been on one of your shows before. It was with Zoom, right? It was really cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's
1: always Zoom, yeah.
0: You are good at marketing because the one I was on about communications and I think it was about COVID and how things have pivoted, but this was probably back in April or so.
1: This was with um, the programs that run for the Angel Adventure Firm. We had 270 people on that one.
0: I mean, I was amazed looking on the chat and looking at all the boxes. Yeah. So I was like, "Go, oh, Mark. Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we just, I just ran one two weeks ago on um, the power of intellectual property and how to um, raise capital, and we had 168 people. Good for you. So it depends, I guess, you know, on the topic. And I've had topics where only 35 people came on. And I'm thinking, my God, this is such an interesting topic. But you only know, had 35 people. Anything that talks about sales, marketing, or raising capital uh, or public relations uh, draws a lot of people.
0: And what do you think that? an entrepreneur just starting, what's the number one thing that they should think about? Because there's so much, as you know, and even like myself doing it 10 years later, I still have highs and lows and it's a roller coaster, and I love it, clearly, or I wouldn't do it. But, um, you know, it's ever changing. But if there was like that one piece of advice, what do you think it would be for someone getting started and taking that risk to live without a net? I I
1: think the one piece of advice is to know that half of whatever you think is going to happen? half of what you plan for is going to go wrong. And that you just have to realize that's, that's just the case. And then if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're going to succeed because most people drop off, they can't handle it. So that's the difference, you know, just like um, great athletes. Everybody looks at Michael Jordan and say, oh my God, it's just natural. No, Michael Jordan took 500 shots a day to become Michael Jordan. You know, all of these people work really, really hard. You, I read Kevin Hunt's uh, Hart's biography, autobiography, and he wasn't an overnight success. It took him like a decade to get there and a ton of learning. So if you think it's going to happen just overnight, it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, it's rare that something takes off like Facebook or Google. And, and remember, when Google started, those guys... There was like, what, 14 different search engines out there. And they were like one of the last to come to the party. So they learned from all the other mistakes of everybody else. And That's the other thing as entrepreneurs is you should talk to other entrepreneurs and read. I, I do a ton of reading, not just for my podcast, but I love to hear people's stories about what it took to get there. And if you read biographies, that's the one thing that all CEOs typically have in common. I read a stat from Harvard Business Review that 90% of CEOs read a biography a month.
0: Yeah, I need to get some biographies. They are interesting. They hook you because it's a real life yeah. interview.
1: Yeah, and you hear about, you, know, you thought it was a breeze for them, but then you re- you hear about the struggle they went through. And I love watching people start something for nothing. We just had um, an entrepreneur who sold his company, I think, for. It's called Analytical Graphics. And I'm forgetting what Paul's last name is now. But I remember when Paul came to my private investors group trying to raise money. It was just him and a a co-founder. And that was 1990, 1991. And now, 30 years later, they sold that business for $720 million.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I mean... I would have guessed that, uh, yeah.
0: So it's always, you know,
1: impressive. And nobody knows why. The other thing is, you don't know why your business hits or doesn't hit. You know, if you ask Mark Zuckerberg when he Facebook, uh, when when he was building Facebook, he would have said, I had three other ideas that I thought were better than Facebook. (laughs) I never guessed that Facebook would evolve into what it became. Or if you talk to the um, founder of Zoom, he said, plan was just to uh, eat into Cisco's Webex business because he had worked for Webex and he felt like the product was okay, but it could be better and they didn't want to make it better. And so he thought he'd have a corporate product. But what does he have? He has a B2C product that millions of people all over the world are using.
0: I know. He's probably thanking So you
1: have to also go with the flow. You have to be flexible as an entrepreneur. You can't be too rigid. Yeah. And resilience. Be yeah.
0: Be willing to get back on your feet because you will fall many times.
1: Oh my God. The number of black eyes
0: uh, <laughs> oh that you
1: get and the time, that all the numbers of time you're not down. You just have to keep dusting yourself off and, and getting up. And that's, that's not easy. And, and, and you're going to have a day where you just don't feel like getting up and doing anything. Yeah. Uh, but you realize that nobody's going to feed you. So you take that day to recuperate and then charge, throw yourself back in the fray.
0: It makes me think of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off song. Shake It Off. You know that song? Yeah. Shake It Off. Yeah,
1: I've heard that song.
0: That's the only thing that you do. Yeah,
1: yeah. And everybody goes through ups and downs. You're going to go through periods where you're in the middle of a thunderstorm and it's a hard rain and you just have to realize sunshine will come eventually.
0: That is true. In the darkest days. The sun all yeah. eventually comes out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just have to keep sticking with it and something will happen. And it amazes you. Doesn't it? like you think yourself when there are periods that you might not have any clients or only a couple, and you wonder, oh my God, will I ever get clients again? And then you just keep showing up at events and you network with people or network online. And then all of a sudden people call you and say, oh, I need your help with something. Right. And, and you're that, amazed. Like, yeah. like
0: yeah. Like when it rains, it yours. Leave it. I know. Yeah. So, where is Mark Kramer going next before we wrap this up? Like, what's the future for you?
1: Well, I have a new entrepreneurial venture called Funding Organizer. So, if you look up funding, FundingOrganizer.com, this new venture is a um, common application to apply for business bank loans. So I've helped five of my clients get between 250000 and $12 million. And every time we went for a loan, the bank, no matter what the size of the bank was, was sending us a PDF form. We'd have to fill that out. It's three years of tax returns. And if they liked it, then they would be sending us emails every week asking us for information. And it was debilitating because you would be stopping what you're doing to answer the bank and you thought, oh, all right, I'm done. And then two days later, they come up with another question. Yes. So
0: Kitty. we set up
1: one common app that all you do is fill out all of this information and store it securely in the cloud. And then you just give them the access code for that information. You're done. You don't have to worry about it. So we're trying to get financial institutions to sign up and use it and pay a licensing fee to go and use it. And for business owners to go use it uh, even if they don't have a bank, fill it all out and then, then share the information with the bank and, and they can change it as they need to. So this will make their life easier. So I'm hoping that this new business will be a nice reoccurring revenue stream for me.
0: And did you say there's a website already?
1: Yeah, fundingorganizer.com.
0: I'll check that out. Very Yeah, makes sense,
1: right? Organize your, your, you know, to get funding.
0: Well, hopefully you're the next 720 millionaires
1: (laughs) after selling it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, that would be awesome.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. I would would love that, especially for my daughters, because you often think as an entrepreneur, my God, I don't want my kids to go through all the stress I have, even though it's been interesting. But at the same time, that makes you stronger all around in your personal life and everything. You're able to do things better.
0: And it's also the beauty yeah. of being an entrepreneur that the financial freedom we have, like the sky's the limit. So technically we all could make, you know, millions, you know, it's just what you put into mm-hmm. it, the idea you have.
1: Yeah. You have, and, if, and again, people should realize you have to get lucky. So 50% showing up, 25% is being smart. And the really important uh, part is 25% is being lucky.
0: Agreed. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you
1: for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, anytime. So everyone, uh, thanks to Mark Kramer and we will see you soon, Mark. Sounds great. Well, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at JennaCom. And check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again and I look forward to taking risks with you.